Stoics to another episode of Meet the Modern Stoics. This is where today's leading Stoic advocates share ancient wisdom that you can apply for better living today. I'm your host, Scott Perry, creator of the StoicGuitarist.com. Get guided and go Stoic. Adopt the posture of a bulletproof creative, the mindset of a thriving artist, and deliver better work to the right people. Remember that Stoicism is a philosophy of action not navel-gazing. Listen to the wisdom delivered in this episode, and then apply it to your life, your work, and relationships today. Let's meet today's guest. Welcome, aspiring and advancing Stoics, to today's broadcast of Meet the Modern Stoics. Our guest today is Dr. Debbie Jaffe-Ellis. Debbie, please welcome uh, to the broadcast. Please introduce yourself to our audience and please share whatever project you're currently working on or most excited about. Oh, wonderful. Thank you, Scott. It's really a pleasure to be with you and anyone who's listening and watching. What am I working on? Well, the broad, uh, broad area that I'm working on is doing my best to practice what I preach in my everyday life. And I, I think that's a a major principle both in the stoic philosophy and in rational emotive behavior therapy which is the psychotherapeutic approach that I practice and write about and um, I'm an adjunct professor at Columbia University teaching that along with at times uh, another subject comparative psychotherapies um, so really what I'm working on is doing my best to live a life of, of intense fullness and integrity and authenticity so that I'm not just preaching to students or clients or anyone else, but um, equally, if not more so, can be a, a model of a fallible human practising the principles that I think... Um, though I might say are predominantly REBT, but you'll find many or some of them in a great number of philosophies and approaches that are dedicated to helping people minimise emotional suffering and enjoying life more. You know, I was having a conversation. Please interrupt me. <laughs> Is this too much of a monologue, Scott? No, no, go on. Just, just a final point that, that I was talking the other day with a very dear friend who shared with me, and, and he's uh, by no mean ager, he would be in his late 50s, early 60s, and works in a field in which he knows many people very well. And he was sharing that in the last year he's lost 19 of his close friends or colleagues, um, most of them being uh, fairly aged, but but many of them not. And as we we talked about this, it reminded us of, of the 
the finite nature of, of being a, a physical human on this earth. And um, it, it's sad, I, I think, that for a number of us, it can take a loss of something or someone or many ones dear to us to, to remind us of the realistic perspective of the finiteness of our journey on earth as we are. And so my wish, my hope, and, and this is what gives me a lot of meaning in my life, is to remind myself and help as many people as possible to not waste time here and use the tools we can use to um, create a healthy emotional destiny. Beautiful. I love that. And it's um, a, definitely a major theme in some of my posts at thestoicguitarist.com where just, re- and it's a very central theme to Stoic philosophy is the memento mori to remember that you will die and that your time here, as you um, eloquently said, is very finite. And really we are, it's our duty to do the best we can, the most we can with the time that we have, not just for ourselves, but obviously for the betterment of those around us because we are inherently social creatures as well. I love the way that you talked about just kind of living your truth um, and doing so in full, uh, realizing that we're never, we're never going to be perfect. And so living and walking that truth means we have to show our humanity and, and our shortcomings. Um, there's also, you really already brought into this, the, the idea of mindfulness, of being present in the here and now, um, and, you, you know, it, with the knowledge that it will end, uh, that your life will end, um, with the knowledge that things have happened in the past that we really can't do much about other than to draw lessons from them to improve, you know, moving forward. Tell us about some of the um, mindfulness practices, stoic or otherwise, that are part of REBT. Well, one would be making intentional choices to use the mind in a healthy way. Making the choice to think about our thinking, to be willing to recognize when our mind is is being our friend, you know, or being the, the monkey mind and, and just jumping here and there and um, at the very least diluting the quality of attention we can give to wherever we're at in a moment and at worst uh, confusing us and, and causing um, us at times to perhaps behave in ways that aren't helpful to others or to ourselves. So so one element is choosing. It's a choice to focus. And one of the gifts of rational emotive behaviour therapy, which I'll call REBT from now on in our conversation, um, is that it teaches us very clearly the difference between healthy rational thinking which creates healthy emotions in response to to good events and adverse ones, and irrational thinking, which creates unhealthy and debilitating emotions in response to whatever event happens. One of the principles of Epictetus that my late husband, Albert Ellis, brought into his therapeutic approach of REBT is that principle 
that it's not an event that creates our emotional response, but our perception of it, what we tell ourselves about it. And so it's, it's of key importance if we wish to minimise emotional suffering. And by the way, in life, as, as Zen teachers, Buddhist teachers, common sense teachers, anyone teachers might remind us, there will be loss and suffering. But we can choose not to extend it, increase it, exacerbate it. We can choose to accept it in its healthy form as part of the rich tapestry of emotional life. Or we can catastrophize, awfulize, think in demanding ways, in irrational ways, and create unhealthy, debilitating emotions. We have a choice. So I, I think I started answering your question and then I went a little bit all around a mulberry bush or a, or a mango tree. I like mango <laughs> I said that, but there it is. Um, can I answer adequately or sufficiently? Oh, absolutely. And I think that's, uh, it, um, it's, it's uh, I can't remember if it's, an, there is an Epictetus quote around this and also Seneca has something to say. It's, it's not things that harm us, it's, our judgment of things and by the you know events situations people uh the possessions and so forth i mean it's it's the story we tell ourselves about who we're engaged with what's happening what we have or don't have that that can do us harm or can do us good and just you know not to to remain on the morbid subject of our death for too very long i you know, as somebody that's lived in a community now for uh, almost 20 years and, and have built a lot of friendships through my um, guitar teaching practice with many, many families, you know, of children who have grown up, who have grandparents that have passed, parents that have passed, sometimes sadly siblings that are passed. It's important. One of the things that I'm those moments, although very sad, are also reminders for the living that it's important to live while you are here and to be connected with others in ways that are healthy and uplifting of, of everybody. Um, and also just maybe we should bring in the idea that it's, we're not, you're not suggesting and stoicism is not suggesting that we ignore negative emotions like sadness or grief and that, um, that they all have, that they're human, that they happen naturally, that they, they bubble up organically and should be, um, should be welcomed for the appropriate amount of time, I guess. It's, it's, it's the dwelling on the grief or, as you say, catastrophizing it that, that actually is causing the harm, not the, the grief itself. Right. And actually, some people confuse the emotional state of depression with grief. They're two different experiences. And um, so just to, to uh, share with you, the unhealthy so-called negative emotions, negative not because they're bad, but because they're not joyful, they're not pleasant necessarily, but they're healthy in response to adversity, include sadness and grief rather than the debilitation of depression, include concern, which can be motivating, rather than the potentially debilitating state of anxiety and panic. 
include regret, where we can learn from any failures and mistakes that we make, rather than shame and guilt, which can strangle the life and joy out of a person. And what I'll call healthy anger, which I'll clarify in a moment, rather than rage, which I don't need to elaborate on um, how destructive that can be. Healthy anger, according to REBT, is based on the premise um, that a healthy human prefers justice and ethical behaviour and moral behaviour. And so when, say, viewing or receiving um, behaviour from others that may be considered brutal or unethical, healthy anger would allow one to feel the no, the adrenaline-fueled no, but be able to pause and reflect on what might be the most appropriate, helpful thing to do here. It might be run for the hills. It might be call 911. It might be take a breath and then calmly express or go do some yoga. Is it, you know, rather than rage, which is often impulsive reaction that, that can lead to... to bad outcomes. So, um, again, when we think in the healthy ways in response to adversity, we experience those healthy, positive, negative emotions in a sense that, that sounds contradictory. You know, I've lost most of the dearest people in my life who knew me the most and loved me the best. And I still feel grief when I think of them. Now, close to the times they passed on, the grief was more raw, it was more guttural, it was more achy. And that was fine and that is appropriate. And I would say these days when I remember them, I still feel grief. The fact is I'm deprived of them in their physical presence and contribution to my life and what I love to contribute to them. But, but as time goes on, the grief is coupled with gratitude that they were and are, in a sense, still a part of my life. And, and it's experience of love coupled with the grief. I wouldn't want not to grieve. And just to come back to what I started with, depression is debilitating. Grief is not. Sad is not bad. And so it's so very helpful and beneficial for humans to learn, to, to distinguish between what is a life-enhancing emotion and what isn't, and the fact that we have the power to create one and not the other. Excellent. Um, it's, I'm reminded a little bit of um, what, what the Stoics say, we should make our goals in life. I mean, we, yes, we are duty-bound to try to achieve our potential um, as human beings with the Stokes, or the Greek word is arete, to achieve excellence as a human being. And you mentioned justice, which is, of course, one of the four cardinal virtues of Stoicism. You begin with uh, self-discipline and temperance. Uh, you then have the courage to do the things that should be done. And then um, justice is that part that draws in um, other people and the role that and the importance of us being in, uh, being a member of the whole of not just our community, but 
humanity in general and to do not good just for ourselves, make sure that we are doing good for all. And then obviously that, uh, and then that leads to the ultimate virtue of wisdom, uh, which um, is kind of encapsulated in mastering the the previous three virtues. Uh, And I love this, what you just said about um, healthy anger. And so getting back to this idea of the goal, the goal is not to achieve um, what we think of as the goal of stoicism with a small S to kind of, uh, you know, keep a stiff upper lip and, and persevere in the face of, of hardship. And it's not the pursuit of passion and bliss and, you know, this constant state of ecstasy. Neither, I mean, neither one of those things is truly human or truly attainable. Our job is to do the best we can in every situation in the moment that we find ourselves and sometimes, you know, an impression arises due to a such a, a, a anger or whatever. And we are prone to give that assent and to act, act in anger on our anger, which you described as, you know, rage and which never really turns out well. <laughs> um, but if we can hold that, experience or that emotion away from ourselves for even a minute is it victor frankel that says between stimulus and response there is a pause i mean we have that ability to to just hold it away from ourselves for a moment so that we can um not react but contemplate objectively what's going on and then proceed in the best way that we can um in alignment with our our better better nature um I had one more thought here and I'm rambling and, and have lost it, but um, that's, I, I, I love that you're allowing that there is this I'm, being a stoic or being uh, a practitioner of REBT does not mean that we just put up with other people's bad behavior or the mistreatment of ourselves. Hmm. No, no, definitely not. And one of the aspects of REBT that really distinguishes it from other cognitive approaches is the strong emphasis that it places on unconditional acceptance in three forms. USA, unconditional self-acceptance, UOA, unconditional other acceptance, and ULA, unconditional life acceptance. And self-acceptance doesn't mean just sort of laying back and, oh, well, it's the way it goes. No, it means accepting the reality of what is, which minimises the the probability and possibility if we allow ourselves of easily creating an unhealthy emotion and from a more stable position, using the mind to assess what might be the most productive behaviour to do now. So by choosing the way we think, and we have the choice if we know we do. I mean, if a person hasn't heard this and they've been brought up in a family where when you're angry, you bang the door and, and so the, the, the child growing into adult can hardly be blamed if they haven't been taught that there are other things you can do. But it's normal. This is what one does. You know, so one, I suppose, uh, it requires one being fortunate enough to one way or another learning that we have a choice. 
to, to being cognitively uh, able enough to apply it, to be willing to think about our thinking, to catch our unhelpful thoughts and dispute them, and then come up with healthy ones in order that we create a, um, a healthy or stabilizing emotion from which we're more likely to act or behave in ways that are more helpful or at the very least less destructive. REBT is, in my view, the most holistic of the psychotherapeutic approaches. And coming back to the unconditional acceptance aspect, um, which allows tolerance of difference. And if there's anything that's needed by crazy humans um, these days, and, and I include myself in that. I mean, every human has the propensity to act in both helpful and unhelpful, crazy or non-crazy-ish ways, <laughs> um, is the willingness to make regular effort. And by the way, it, it takes usually, excuse me, <clears throat> more than an epiphany or, or agreeing with your words or my words, takes regular reminder, ongoing effort and practice to get not only in our heads, that's the start, but then sinking into our hearts and guts. The... Um, the willingness and awareness to, to use the potential for choosing the healthy ways of being that not only enrich our lives, but as if not more importantly, contribute in healthy ways to the lives of other people. That's beautiful. I, and I love that. I, I remember now when you were speaking, what I was thinking about, and that's Epictetus's idea that people are not, there's people are not inherently evil. They don't, a bad person does not wake up in the morning as Massimo Picolucci so eloquently says and says, oh boy, can't wait to do some evil today. I can't wait to go out there and hurt somebody. Um, people are generally acting in a way that they think that they should be acting. And right. when they act badly, it's not that they're bad people, but they are acting out of ignorance of what is virtuous or good. And that ties into what you just said about unconditional acceptance. We have to accept that, that the world is imperfect, that we are imperfect, that bad things do happen, that good things do happen. And if we can accept that, then we can work with what is real and what is at hand to do the most good that we can and to live as help, happily and healthily as we can, as opposed to just raging against the injustice of it all or the unfairness of it all. Um, I love that. Uh, yeah. And in, in addition, I think, to what you said, I, I love the way you put it, a person doesn't usually wake up and, and think, what evil will I do today? Um, not only in REBT's view would a person who act in evil ways, would that come from their distorted or unhealthy thoughts and demands of whatever they think should be happening that isn't, so they're choosing to do whatever, um, but also, literally, brain disturbance, you know, disturbance of the brain. A, a person who, who has a, a healthily functioning brain in those emotional areas, coupled with the ability to think about their thinking and recognise when they're not thinking in, in productive ways, um, generally will do less harm and, and more good, will we'll intend to at the very least. 
Um, so we're very fortunate if our brain chemistry and our physical condition plus our, whatever level in, of intelligence we have that allows us to perceive, think and act on our thoughts, um, if they're healthy enough, we're very fortunate. Those who do evil are seriously disturbed. And again, REBT, and you brought this up before, it's not about accept that they're disturbed. And yes, forgive them in their disturbing state, not necessarily their actions. REBT is all for acting for justice if and when possible. Excellent. Well, we're coming to the end of our half hour, and I'm sad about that because this is a fascinating discussion. And um, I, I, I hope that we can have you back on again because I have tons more questions, and there's been some questions from the people watching live. Unfortunately, the half hour time limit doesn't allow us to get to those. Um, so I just want to, before I ask where people can connect with you, I just would like to say that there's been some things said here that if you've watched, you are no longer ignorant of, and that is that you you have learned that there are things within your control, your your perception and your actions, and things outside of your control, which is essentially everything else. And now it is up to you to cultivate a practice and a diligent practice, a perseverant practice of making sure that you do not react badly to other people's bad behavior or to uh, situations uh, where, where you may be experiencing, you know, great, um, great success and great joy. Er, both those situations are very temporary and it's your job to kind of assess uh, situations in the here and now and put forth your best effort to do the best you can for yourself and others to make yourself and others happier and healthier individuals. Um, Dr. Debbie, where can people, uh, and I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people now that are very interested in learning about more about you and your work and that of your late husband, um, Albert, where can people connect with you online? Well, my website, www.debbiejoffeellis, as one word, D-E-B-B-I-E-J-O-F-F-E-E-L-L-I-S.com. That's my website. And on it, there's a, a section where you can contact me. Um, there are some articles, um, interviews with me and, and pieces I wrote for Psychology Today. There are a few videos and, and perhaps this one will join them <laughs> too, but uh, past interviews with me um, and, and other information. So I guess through the website, you can email me and also learn a little bit more about the work I do and, and where I'm presenting. I travel and, and give talks, though I'm based here in New York City. Um, so uh, that would be great. And it's been such a pleasure. And thank you for your wonderful um, questions and, and thoughts. And yeah, I hope we do do this again. There are a few more things I'd love to share. And one of the things I wanted to share, maybe this can whet your appetite. Um, this, this book, uh, can you see it? Uh-huh. The Discourses and the Incorrect. And yeah. Jesus. So this was my, my late husband's book. And um, look, it's got gold on the, I don't know if you can see yeah. it. They don't make books like they used to. It was published in, in 1890. And anyway, so the way my husband used to um, read, he would, he would read books and underline certain parts and, and where he would um, disagree or 
where he'd agree, he'd, he'd put a, a tick, and, and, and where he'd disagree, I'm trying to find, oh, a question mark, you know, like, uh, you know, and um, he, he really, that's how he read all the books and thought clearly. And there are some things in, in Stoic philosophy that uh, are expressed quite differently in REBT, but I think I'm going over time now. If you're interested, perhaps we'll talk again. <laughs> I think that's, yeah, that's, that's fascinating. And that's a beautiful way to end the broadcast. What a great uh, treat to see your husband's handwriting in the book and to see the impact of uh, one of the leading Stoic, ancient Stoic teachers, Epictetus, on your husband's and your work. Um, Stoicism has been around a long time. It's endured because it got a lot of things right. The first is that we are inherently rational creatures. It sets us apart and that we are inherently social creatures. So uh, if you haven't t checked out um, the, the handbook, Epictetus's handbook, that is an excellent place to start, as is my favorite Marcus Aurelius's meditations. Well, we need to wrap up. Dr. Debbie, thank you so much. What a fascinating and, uh, and insightful discussion. I can't wait. And I encourage everybody to go to her site and check out the videos. There's a lot of great um, interviews and discussions that she's having in various, um, various stages and formats that you can learn a lot more about, not just about REBT, but about the power it has to help you live a happier and healthier life. Thank you so much, Dr. Debbie. I'm going to ask you to hold on the line for one minute. We're going to say goodbye to the live audience. Thanks, everybody. And we'll look forward to seeing you again next week on Meet the Modern Stoics. Did you enjoy this episode of Meet the Modern Stoics? Then help me spread the stoic goodness and leave a five-star review on iTunes. Tell a friend about the podcast or email me at scott at thestoicguitars.com. Tell me what you think or who I should have on next. It's always great to hear from you. Remember, you can access all of the video versions of these interviews at thestoicguitarist.com. And while you're there, grab the free resource guide and checklist on how to become a bulletproof creative and a thriving artist in any endeavor or enterprise. Thanks for tuning in and for your support and participation. See you next time, fate permitting.